Hello, welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We're a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who simply love Jesus and want to journey through the ups and downs of our faith together. We're so glad you're here. I would venture to say that a few of us might look into our family tree and kind of feel a little bit like this. Maybe, maybe we're not excited about all the branches that are out there. Um, I am from Kentucky, and you have to know I've heard, I've heard all the jokes. I've heard them all. I've heard them all. And the problem is that at some, like, extended family reunions, I've met some distant relatives, and they kind of fit the stereotypes, and that really doesn't make me excited to be connected with them. But... We claim people anyway, and I just feel like the same thing can happen in our spiritual family tree. Because maybe some of you, maybe you grew up in some churches, and they taught you the Bible from certain perspectives. And then when you grew up, you started to have questions. And it felt like the perspectives that you learned since you were a kid, maybe they had some gaps. And something just felt missing at times. And so you ask questions, and you start to search, and then you try to decide, well, all the things that I learned from my spiritual family tree, you know, I have questions. Because if sometimes people gave me a perspective where it felt like this person is in and this person is out. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we were kind of taught, maybe subliminally, these boundaries, these like in crowds and who was outside the crowd. And a lot of times that was based on very external matters. You know, this person comes into church and looks like they have it all together. They're definitely in. But that person over there, they appear very broken and they are doing some things. And so we've kind of labeled them out. But then we, then we come to find, like, the more we grow up in life and the more life experiences we have, we find that this person that seemed like they had it all together, they are falling apart behind closed doors. And that person over there that we've counted out has stronger faith than we would ever recognize. That's the problem when we define in and out. It's great to feel like we belong in a group. But when we get in somewhere and then shun other people from coming in with us, That's the problem. And it seems like that we're not the first people in history, even in the body of faith, who had this scenario. We have been studying in the book of Ruth, in the Old Testament, and it happened like 1,200 years before Jesus was born, just to put it in the historical perspective. And back then, the Jewish people, they had to reckon with the faith that their spiritual ancestors, that their family tree had some people in it that maybe they didn't always want to claim. But a friend of mine this week on Facebook, he's an Old Testament theologian, amazing person named Dan Dyke, and he posted a thought. He said when we read certain stories like the book of Ruth, he said they demand us to ask, who are the people of God? And so as we have been reading about Ruth, a Moabite who lived among the Israelites, how she was ingrained in the family of God, we've been asking who truly are the people of God. And we're going to finish examining that question today. 
We've spent four weeks in our bittersweet series so far. There's four chapters of Ruth, so that felt very fitting. But while we concluded the story portion last week, there's still a few verses left that we haven't read. We'll call it bonus footage, behind-the-scenes features, because the legacy of this family, it went beyond their own story. And so today, we're going to look at Ruth 4. We're going to read verses 18 through 22 and see what that can tell us. Before we read, i got to summarize where we've been. Or as Aniga Montoya would say, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. We've got several slides, and we're going to beat through them here. We've got Naomi and Elimelech, some amazing Jewish family. They experienced famine, and so they took their sons, Kilion and Malon, and they headed out away from Israel, trying to find food in Moab. Moab was an enemy of Israel. Elimelech died. And then Naomi's sons got married to women from Moab. That wasn't seen as kosher at the time, Orpah and Ruth. But then Naomi found, discovers 10 years after that, she loses her sons. She is all alone as a widow and decides she hears that back in Bethlehem, where she's from, in Israel, they have food again. And so she's going to head back and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, goes with her. Once they arrived, they lived as women on the margins. And Ruth, she went out to glean in the fields and she met Boaz, found out he was a relative of Naomi's, and that's how she daily provided food for them. But after the harvest season, they questioned again, what will happen to our lives? How will we continue to survive as widowed women in this community? And Naomi had an idea. She said, we need to get you connected to a man because that was the way for long-term survival. And Ruth and Boaz, Boaz negotiated a way to be the guardian redeemer, to marry Ruth, even though she was a Moabite. And last week we learned that Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. And we hoped, as we concluded the story last week, we hoped that Naomi, who left and became very bitter, would have found sweetness once again, just as her name meant, by having a grandson. Okay, that was a pretty story. We know in the details that there was a lot more going on, and it may not have always been very pretty. But now we have these verses that says, This then is the family line of Perez. This is Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Now, Perez is the ancestor of specifically the people who lived in Bethlehem. So that is why they lift him up. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Usually when I get to these lists, I'm kind of like, okay, these are some names. Some I know, some I don't. But there's some pieces in here that are intriguing. Because we said that Perez was this ancestor of the people of Bethlehem. And in fact, last week, as a blessing, when Boaz married Ruth, this is what the people of the town said. They said, 
May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Okay, that sounds just like a blessing. Like, you know, we hope that you will be just like our ancestors and have lots of kids and be in this beautiful family line. But here's the deal. Perez, he had a twin brother, but his parents, they had an interesting story. See, his mom was Tamar, which they said in verse 12 of Ruth chapter 4. And Tamar was a foreign outsider just like Ruth. She was from Canaan. That was another enemy of Israel. So just as we had been reading about Ruth being ingrained into a community when she was an outsider, Tamar was as well. She married the son of Judah. Judah was her father-in-law. Now, Judah passed away. And as we talked about last week, leveret marriage, which meant when, the husband, when the, one of the brothers died, he left a widow with no children. The younger brother was supposed to take up the cause, marry the widow, and have a child in his brother's name. It was to honor him, to lift up his name, to carry the family line. And so Tamar, her first husband, passed away. And so she was married to the brother, Onan. But Onan chose not to procreate. We'll say it that way. You can read it. You can look it up. Genesis 38. Onan chose not to procreate with Tamar. And so she was left without a child still. Onan died. And so then Judah, her father-in-law, is like, okay, there's this other son. He's kind of young now. Wait till he comes of age. I promise I'll give him to you in marriage. And so she waits and the son grows up. She doesn't, no one's, no one's performing a wedding here. So she's still on her own with no children. Her mother-in-law dies and then her father-in-law is single. And so Tamara was like, there is only one way I can figure out how to get a child out of this scenario. So she waits till her father-in-law is drunk. She sits on the side of the road and she covers herself. And she might appear like a town prostitute. He doesn't know. He decides to have sex with her. And she becomes pregnant. He's never known her identity. But she asks him to leave something behind. An identifying marker. And he does. And he's on his way. So months later, she starts showing. And the whole family is thinking, hey, what's with this scandal? Tomorrow you went out and got pregnant? And she said, the man who is the father of my child is the owner of this seal. And it was Judah, her father-in-law, and he was torn. He was convicted. But here's what's interesting. This is what he said. He said, Tamar is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son. So we think her action seems so scandalous. And yet Judah is saying, she was more righteous than what I was supposed to be. I'm supposed to be the good Jewish person. I'm supposed to care for my family. And yet I abandoned her. And here a woman from Canaan has made these choices. And I think she's more righteous than I. The twins they had together were Perez and his brother. And so then that is a piece of this family history. So we've got a Canaanite woman. Next, we'll go back to our genealogy slide here. And we see we've got Perez, Hezron. We drop all the way down and we get to Boaz because we met him. We've met him through our story. Now, Boaz is listed as the father of Obed. And I think that's interesting because last week we talked about he was said that he was going to marry Ruth and have a child 
in the honor of her former husband, her first husband. And yet history remembers Boaz's name and not Malon's name. But we discover in another piece of scripture that Boaz's mom was Rahab. And you may have heard of her or you may have not. But Rahab was another person who was not from Israel. And yet she acted in faith. And she saved God's people. When spies came to the land of Jericho, they were seeking out what was going to be theirs. The Lord had said, I'm going to give you this land. And they came into the city and they were, they were just checking it out. But then their lives were threatened. And Rahab was a prostitute, had a house in Jericho and said, I'll hide you. And she lied for them and they were saved. So here that she, her life was spared and says in Joshua 6, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. These are a lot of different stories here in Israel's history. But I want us to see that people who were outsiders stepped inside because they acted in faith. And unexpected people were part of the family of God. Who were the people of God? We're finding out so far we have a Canaanite woman and now a woman from Jericho who was a prostitute. Now here is what really, really blew my mind this week. As I was looking back at the story of Ruth and Boaz and the fact that Naomi and Ruth lived as widows, they were on the margins of society, they were day to day trying to survive. And Boaz said, yes, you can work in my fields. And yes, I will find a way to marry you and sustain your family. And I thought, I wonder why Boaz made these choices. If you look at the fact that he was the son of a woman who had lived outside the margins, his mom was Rahab. His mom was not an Israelite. His mom was once an outsider brought in. And in fact, on into the New Testament, they keep saying Rahab the prostitute. Her past is always with her. And I can't imagine if that might have been a stigma in Boaz's life for a while. And yet, so when he saw Ruth, a woman on the margins, do you think his heart was extra attuned to her? Because he had been raised by a woman in a similar setting. He had, his whole faith had been shaped by watching his mom. I just imagine that God had already been shaping who Boaz was as a man because of his mom and made him extra aware of Ruth. Now we're going to look back at our genealogy slide again because if you notice, it began with Perez, which was the ancestor that they were all very proud of, even though he had a scandalous upbringing. And then it ends with David. Now, the reason why this is important is because these verses might have even been added on to this book very specifically. Why? Because if David is in this line, and David, you may have heard of him. We talked about him in our psalm series. He is a very famous king. He was very uplifted by the Jewish people. And yet, he's related. His great-grandma is Ruth the Moabite. And that probably concerned some people. 
it probably concerned some people when David became king to think, is he legitimate? He's related to a Moabite. And if we go in Deuteronomy 23, the people of God were told no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And so Ruth, you know, all of her loving kindness that we talked about, all of her godly qualities, they kept promoting probably extra because they're like, okay, David is related to this woman. Let's investigate who this woman is. And back to my friend, Old Testament scholar Dan Dyke, he surmised this week. He's like, this is just a guess, but it's a very educated guess. But if you look at this and you count from Perez down, or from Boaz, and if you count all the generations, there are 10 listed there. So perhaps the people writing down this genealogy were trying to say, look at these 10 generations. And perhaps they were trying to say, David should enter the assembly of the Lord. He is in this 10th generation. And they were trying to justify these outsiders who were truly had become the people of God. Fun fact, the women... Ruth, Rahab, and Tamar, they weren't just part of a royalty in the Jewish lineage. We know that they are also part of Jesus' lineage. Because in Matthew chapter 1, all the way in the New Testament, we find Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, three foreign women on the margins, and they are listed in Jesus' lineage. If you flip to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles or on your phones, you will see there's a giant list. We've got Abraham all the way down to Jesus, and it says there was 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David. There's just a lot of names. It's a big, long list I'm not going to read now. But notice most of the names are men, but Matthew chooses specific women that he is pointing out who are related to Jesus. And in here, we see Tamar. We see Rahab. We see Ruth. Matthew called out these names. And scholars say that probably part of his point, because throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he's telling the life of Jesus to a Jewish audience. And he's trying to say, Jesus, he didn't just come for the Jewish people. And he was planting these seeds to say, Jesus, he didn't even come only from Jewish people. That in his family tree were some outsiders, were some non-Jewish people. And Matthew was trying to like lay the ground so that when he got through and wrote through the life of Jesus, that he could just help the Jewish people come along to say, look, there's more beyond your circle. That God's love is beyond this personal family that you know of. So open your hearts wider and wider and let people in. It was a controversial message. It was scandalous, just the way David was scandalously related to a Moabite. Jesus coming for somebody other than the Jewish family he was a part of. It was pretty scandalous at times. But it matters. And I feel like, God purposefully 
knew who all these people were going to be related to. He knew they were going to be related to a Canaanite, a Moabite, a woman from Jericho. I don't know how to say Jerichoite. I didn't figure that out this week. But I think God purposefully chose that Jesus was going to be in that family because he cares about even people on the margins. Who were the people of God? All those who have been invited. We've all been invited. And the people of God are the ones who said yes. These women on the margins have their names remembered in the family trees of both David, the revered Jewish king, and Jesus, the eternal king.